Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. Hello again, hushlings. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our pal, Slick Frank Sanders. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Two weeks ago, if you tuned in, we covered the second debriefing of Jeffrey Epstein. This week, we're getting into Majestic 12. But before we let all those secrets out, I just want to remind everyone that Conspiracy the Game is still available and still up for grabs. Today is the last day that you can enter to win the game. It's very simple. All you have to do is submit a screenshot of a review left of our show, send it over to our socials or our email at hushhushsociety at planetmail.com, and you are entered to win. Also, you can find us on all our social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us on our brand new YouTube where we submit all the audio of our episodes each week. And Hushlings, don't forget to subscribe on Instagram, our new Hush Hush Apparel, the official brand of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Be on the lookout for new designs and merchandise soon. Aw yeah, bro, I'm getting a hoodie. All that dapper drip. (laughs) Dapper drip. Dapper ass drip. (laughs) This week we're taking on the Majestic 12. If you've never heard of the Majestic 12, they are a secret government agency or group of scientists slash military personnel that supposedly don't exist. But to understand who the Majestic 12 are, we have to take a step further back to one of the first, one of the greatest conspiracy theories of all time. The Roswell Incident. So if you haven't heard about the Roswell Incident, I don't know what planet you're from, but it happened in mid-1947 in Roswell, New Mexico. The U.S. government originally claimed that they had found an alien spacecraft crashed near this ranch. They rebutted and said it was a weather balloon, a Project Mogul weather balloon to be exact. This shit wasn't no weather balloon, dog. So here's, here's my thing about weather balloons. And this is this was always my my first initial thought when they come up with the story of the weather balloon. The crash at Roswell from what observers had said and what was reported, there was fire and there was an explosion and there was a large chunk of land that was ripped up and all this jazz. A weather balloon, as I recall, is not that big that it would take out huge chunks of land, first of all. And second of all, when did they start filling weather balloons with dynamite? Yeah, they're, they're like pretty light and buoyant from what I've seen. I don't know about an exploding weather balloon. The official pictures that were put in newspapers at the time were, it looked like a weather balloon. It looked like tinfoil or like a space blanket. It didn't look like anything that an alien spacecraft would be, which makes it really suspicious because the original report that came in in a newspaper a couple days before that had said that they had found a spacecraft. It's very, very weird. Well, here's the whole thing. So you have a newspaper 
that goes and they they go out and they take these pictures of the crash site. Do you honestly believe that the United States government is going to go and now all of a sudden let these reporters onto the scene and say, okay, guys, go on down. You take your pictures, do whatever you got to do. We'll tell you everything that you need to know, and then you'll be on your merry way. It took a couple days to get those pictures even them being let on to the scene of the crash, you know that the government went in, took out everything that was there, took an old weather balloon, ripped it to shreds and threw it out <laughs> onto the scene and said, there's your story. It doesn't make sense that the government would wait a couple days, look at this weather balloon, go, yeah, that's a weather balloon, and then would go over to the news outlets and say, all right, go take a picture of this weather balloon. If it was a weather balloon in the first place, they would have had no problems sending reporters down to the crash site and saying, look, it's just a weather balloon. Yeah, that's that's definitely suspicious. There was no need to wait multiple days if it was just a weather balloon. Like, Why just leave the remnants of it there for, you know, three, four days and then wait? I love how Roswell has, like, completely embraced this whole alien culture, too. I just think that's really cool. That turned them into a tourist attraction. Roswell, New Mexico, and the surrounding areas, that's a mecca for ufologists and people that want to be abducted. <laughs> have you ever been Have you ever been on the extraterrestrial highway? Are we talking about while I was inebriated? Normal, normal life? I, I did but, when I took shrooms once. You've, in New Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> shrooms in New Mexico? I would have I would have thought more peyote, but the original report came from the Roswell Daily Record. It was July eighth, nineteen forty seven, and it says R A A F captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region. That's the original newspaper report, and there's no pictures on it. The next report that came out, newspaper wise, it's iconic of a picture of a guy kneeling over some tinfoil. That's why I'm saying that easily the government went in with their flatbeds or box trucks, whatever they had, packed everything up, sent it on over to their nearest government facility, which we all know which one that is, and then just came back with a weather balloon, tore it all up, threw it down and said, hey, here's your story. The nearest government facility, if you're if you're referencing Area 51, didn't start till 1955. But did it? Did it, did it, act, it, it was, was that when, was that when it was, is that when it got notoriety as being the quote unquote extraterrestrial U.S. government base? A hundred percent. I get your point on that because Area 51, Groom Lake, whatever you want to call it, it's a facility owned by the United States Air Force in the Nevada test and training range where they did definitely detonate atomic bombs earlier that definitely had something to do with the end of World War II. So, yeah, I agree. with you. I, I never thought about it that way. I don't know. The way I look at it is maybe this whole thing happens in 1947. They take the wreckage to Paradise Ranch, a.k.a. Groom Lake, a.k.a. Area 51, and... They say, okay, we're going to store this here and we'll build a base around it. They were getting reports at the time of UFOs. They were getting reports of objects in the sky, lights in the sky. This is a hotbed area for UFOs. Why don't we just build a base here and let that be that? And what's what's Area 51 surrounded by? Nothing. Absolutely <laughs> fucking Thousands nothing. of acres of nothing. It's 83 miles north-northwest of Las Vegas, and if you've ever been to Las Vegas, Nevada, it, unless you're in metropolitan Las Vegas, there's nothing. 
around Las Vegas. I mean, the closest town is what? Prim? And that's a amusement park. So there's nothing out there. And if you go even north, I, I know I've I've driven through Death Valley. I've driven as close as I can to Groom Lake before. And that was still like 50 miles south of Area 51. And if you've ever been to Death Valley, there's nothing. I wouldn't be surprised at all. They just built a massive vault for that hotspot. Or was it some sort of secret base even before it became Area 51? Maybe it was a bunker. Maybe it was uh, some doomsday setup. Yeah, this is where we would bring the president if a, if a nuke went off. What was first? Area 51? S4? I'm pretty sure there's an S1, S2, S3 that you don't even know about what was first. Imagine being that fucking guy driving the cargo truck with some UFO in the back. Like, that's got to be nerve-wracking. You don't know if that thing's going to fucking self-destruct or some <laughs> ray beams are going to go off. So I, I'd be dripping sweat. That'd be terrifying. So yeah, obviously you'd want to get to the nearest place, even if it was in the middle of fucking nowhere, even if Area 51 wasn't established yet, get into the middle of nowhere and establish something. I would want to hide this thing in the side of a mountain. You don't know what it is. Or do you? And that's why you're hiding it. Well, there's also Walker Air Force Base, which is close to Roswell, New Mexico. So they possibly could have taken it to Walker Air Force Base. Walker Air Force Base was established in 1941, so that's a possible location that they could have brought it to also. It is kind of synonymous with the Roswell incident. It would be a good staging point. The Majestic 12 organization came about after the Roswell incident, and it was an executive order by U.S. President Harry S. Truman to facilitate the recovery and investigation of said alien spacecraft. It was scientists, military leaders, like Mystery Mike said, and other government officials. The concept originated of the Majestic 12 in a series of supposedly leaked secret government documents that first circulated by ufologists in 1984. A roll of 35mm film was sent from an anonymous source in Albuquerque, New Mexico, to the doorstep of filmmaker Jamie Shindera in Burbank, California. Now, Shindera apparently had some ufologist friends. Stanton T. Friedman, who's a name I've totally heard before, and Bill Moore say they received, as well, anonymous messages that led them to find what has been called the Cutler slash Twining Memo in 1985. While searching declassified files in the National Archives, it is supposedly written by President Eisenhower's assistant, Robert Cutler, to General Nathan F. Twining, referencing the Majestic 12. It is supposed to be a forgery though planted as a hoax they looked at a couple different things so when it comes to the documents that they were sent there were a few things that they were in favor of a hoax and other things that said that they were real so the thing the main thing that they said was kind of pushing towards a hoax was the fact that the signature of harry truman was exact to another document and they say supposedly you can't go and sign your signature exactly the same twice but that was later found out to be a lie in itself because you can sign your name exactly the same twice just not concurrently I mean, how many times have you signed your name on a check at a restaurant? You know, it's my, my signature looks. You're still writing pretty checks much at restaurants? No, you sign a, a, a check, a receipt, you know, the, the tip. <laughs> you know what the fuck I'm talking about? Fucking. No, but how many times do you sign your name on something with your signature on a daily basis, especially if you work in a, in a place where you, you sign a lot of documents? Oh, of course. 
my old job, when I was working on loading docks, I signed up to 30 to 40 things a day. So your signature gets perfected in your brain. Now imagine that you are the president of the United States and you're being handed <laughs> memos and documents literally all Every day. Every blink of an eye. Yeah, I just feel yeah. like that's such a lame point to call a hoax. Like, oh, oh uh, nope. He, he signed his name exactly the same. Such a Mickey Mouse response, dude. Like, Well, they said, they said that there was a smudge in the signature that matched with the smudge of another signature on another document, which also is kind of questionable. Who went back and looked through... Let's. I'll even say on the lowest of the low end, who went back through a hundred documents that Truman signed and looked at the signatures and said, "All right, we're going to find the one that has a smudge in it, or we're going to, you know, <laughs> we're going to we're going to investigate every single time that he ever signed his name." I don't know. Maybe it happens frequently. Maybe he's got like a little pinky drag when he signs shit, and he just frequently smudges shit. He was- it could be. He could have been lefty. Was Harry Truman uh, lefty? Also within the document, they looked at the letter Z as it was typed out in the documents, and there was a slight offset to the letter Z. All the other letters in the words would line up perfectly, but the Z was always a little offset, and they said it was because of the printer that they were using. So Z was an underutilized letter, so it would build up this fine film of dust, and every time that Z was punched, it would slightly offset. They trace this back to the printing core of the United States back in 1947, so it gives merit to the the fact that this document could have, unless somebody was well-versed in what happens with the letter Z on these printing presses, it gives credence to the fact that this document was created within the printing core of the United States military, especially within the, the Pentagon. Yeah, like you said, unless somebody really did their research, I think that point gives it a lot more validity. A man named Richard Dottie, claimed to be a part of the United States Air Force of Special Investigations, told a filmmaker, Linda Howe, that the MJ-12 story was true, and he showed her unspecified documents showing the proof of the existence of small gray humanoid aliens originating from the Zeta Reticuli star system. And he also promised to supply Howe with film footage of said UFOs and an interview with an alien being although no footage ever came about or materialized. You know, I'm always weary whenever there is a figure within all these re- all this research that we do that comes out and says, "Yeah, I got the uh I got the inside documents. I got the film. <laughs> I got everything that you need regarding this whole conspiracy, and I'll give it to you." <laughs> First of all, uh, the chances of somebody having some sort of film to back up meeting aliens or a UFO crash or whatever they say are slim to none. And even if you did, you're not making it off of the base with that evidence. You're not making it out of your office with that evidence. So I, I'm always hesitant when I hear one of these people from the past. Oh, yeah, I got the got the stuff. <laughs> I'm just, just confused. Like, what did Dottie have to gain from giving this prominent ufologist this quote unquote stuff the information he just kind of came out of nowhere and proposed her with this offer and then didn't follow through with it? 
a little background on Richard Doty. So Richard Doty had a 20-year career with the Air Force, including years as a special agent for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. And during that time, he would surveil a scientist specifically one scientist, Paul Benowitz, and he was inadvertently trying to get information from Benowitz that was classified from the Air Force program. And later on, Doty would go on to admit that he fed disinformation to Benowitz and other UFO researchers and other UFOlogists that were seeking information about Roswell and other crashes. So he built this persona around himself as being a poster child for disinformation, really, for false information. He became the great liar of, of the UFO conspiracy. There was also Philip J. Kloss accused of being a disinformation agent about the Cutler twining memos. It kind of makes you wonder, too, when it comes to these, especially when it's government agents or it's government employees that come out with these things, is how many of them are planted disinformation agents? How many of them have purposely been sent out to discredit the conspiratorial world, to discredit UFO believers, to discredit Roswell, to discredit the MJ-12? Wasn't the term conspiracy theory donned like 20 years later? Yeah, which is funny because the ability for the government to spread disinformation to quell the American masses has been going on forever since the inception of this country. So for them to put out information to make other people look bad or to make other people look like they're liars or to make other information look outrageous is not beyond imagination at all call me biased we already know what this dude richard dotty was up to but he just doesn't look trustworthy again maybe it's just biased because <laughs> like we know he was a, a liar but i don't know some people just look like you could trust them more and this guy doesn't look like one of those people he just kind of looks like a rat the FBI began an investigation about the, quote, secret documents and quickly, surprise, surprise, found doubts to their authenticity. The U.S. Air Force Office of Special Investigations stated that no such committee had ever been authorized or formed as well. And the FBI subsequently declared that the MJ-12 documents are completely bogus. Now, Frank and I were looking at the documents together and it's literally written in pen, bogus. Like huge letters yeah. plastered across the entire page on at least a dozen pages. And then there are also paragraphs in certain lines and everything that are blocked out. Yeah, like this is bogus, but this isn't. And this is bogus, but you can't see this. There's a decent amount of information that they they censored out of these documents. Now, that's an interesting thought in itself. If the MJ-12 documents were a hoax, if it was just random information that somebody was just putting out there, just trying to get a rouse out of people, there's obviously stuff in it that is truthful because the government had to go in and redact that information. Exactly. Why censor it at all if it's bogus? The ufologists we talked about, Linda Howe and Stan Friedman, believe that the MJ-12 documents are authentic, and Friedman examined the documents and had argued that the U.S. government had conspired to cover up the knowledge of this extraterrestrial spacecraft. So we keep talking about the Majestic 12. We keep talking about the Majestic 12, composed of 12 scientists and military leaders, as we've said. But 
there are names along with these 12. There are faces. These are actual people. One is Lloyd Berkner, who was an American physicist and engineer. Uh, he was one of the inventors of the measuring device that since has become standard at ionospheric stations. So that's a guy you want on the 12. <laughs> Detlev Bronk. <laughs> Sounds like he's related to Frank. Uh, was a prominent American scientist, educator, and administrator. He's credited with establishing biophysics. He served as president of John Hopkins University from 1949 to 1953, and as president of the Rockefeller University from 1953 to 1968. There's also Vannevar Bush, who was an American engineer, inventor, and science administrator, who during World War II headed the U.S. Office of Scientific Research and Development, or the OSRD, through which almost all wartime military R&D was carried out, including important developments in radar and the initiation of early administration of the Manhattan Project. Then we come, we come across our first uh, military man, James Forrestal, who was the last cabinet-level United States Secretary of the Navy and the first United States Secretary of Defense. Gordon Gray was an official of the United States government during the administrations of Harry Truman, 1945-53, as well as Dwight Eisenhower, 53-61, and associated with defense and national security. We also have Roscoe Hillencotter, was the third director of the post-World War II United States Central Intelligence Group, also known as the CIG, and the first director of the Central Intelligence Agency, also created, surprise surprise, in 1947. There was Jerome Clark Hunsaker. He was an American-born airman in Creston, Iowa, and was educated at the Naval Academy and MIT. Donald H. Menzel was one of the first theoretical astronomers and astrophysicists in the United States. He discovered the physical properties of the solar chromosphere and the chemistry of stars, the atmosphere of Mars, as well as the nature of gaseous nebulae. We have Robert M. Montag, he was a lieutenant general in the United States Army. He achieved prominence as the deputy commander of Fort Bliss in Texas and commander of the Sandia Missile Base in, Ma in New Mexico during the start of modern ufology and head of the U.S. Caribbean Command. Sidney Sowers, who was an American admiral and intelligence expert. Nathan F. Twining, who was a United States Air Force general. He was Chief of Staff of the United States Air Force from 53 to 57, and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff from 57 to 60. And lastly, we have Hoyt Vandenberg, who was a United States Air Force General. He served as the Second Chief of Staff of the Air Force and Second Director of Central Intelligence. What's up, Hushlings? Mystery Mike here. And I'm here to tell you about a contest that we're currently running. It's real easy to enter. All you gotta do is go to iTunes, submit a review for our show, and screenshot it, then send it on over to us. You can do this through our social medias or through our email at hushhushsociety at planetmail.com. You'll be entered to win a travel size edition of Conspiracy The Card Game. This card game explores all the conspiracies and tests your knowledge of the deep dark unknown. This contest will run until October 5th. Second and third prize winners will also be chosen and receive a Hush Hush Society sticker pack.
Hey there, I'm Tara. And I'm Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal. Or murder. Join us on Mondays for full-length episodes where we discuss our favorite paranormal stories and true crime cases. And join us again on Thursdays for our mini-sodes called Stabby Snippets, where we tell you all about true crimes happening in the news. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, wherever the hell else you listen to your pods at. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by using the handle at 3 Girls. Come and hang out with us and get your spooky on while we scare the hell out of you. So I just have one little question. You know, us going through the Majestic 12 here, the supposed 12 gentlemen involved in the Majestic 12. One of them was Jerome Clark Hunsaker. He was an airman born in Iowa, and he was educated at the Naval Academy and MIT. Why would you include him? Now, he doesn't seem like he would be someone of mass importance. Like, he's just an, he's just an airman. At MIT, he was assigned the task of developing appropriate courses in aerodynamics, and he also became an instructor at MIT from 1914 to 1916. Uh, so he knew his shit about aerodynamics. Okay, so that makes that makes a little more sense. Just reading through and looking at the members of the group, he seemed the odd one out. But looking further into his schooling and into what his specialty was, it makes more sense. He was low-level military, but he was very educated. Well, it doesn't look like he's low-level military from his pictures, but like, he was not as prestigious as some of the people that were on this group. But he definitely had the knowledge of something that they were looking at. So there's an, the accused disinformation agent that we had talked about, Philip J. Kloss, investigated the MJ-12 documents and found that Robert Cutler was actually out of the country on the date he supposedly wrote the Cutler twining memo, and that Truman's signature was a, quote, pasted on photocopy of a genuine signature, including accidental scratch marks, from a memo that Truman wrote to Benavar Bush on October 1st, 1947. And... Let's not forget that Vannevar Bush was also part of the MJ-12, supposedly. Klaus <laughs> dismissed the theories that the documents were part of a disinformation campaign, saying it's ridiculous, saying that they contain numerous flaws and they can never fool Soviet or Chinese intelligence. Why were they trying to fool Soviet and Chinese intelligence about some <laughs> said documents? Why is that the line? I mean, I guess maybe if they were trying to hide something, maybe it was from the Soviets or the Chinese, but why is their intelligence the, the line as to it being fake? Those are the two countries that a decade and a half or so after is when you have the major space race. Yeah, I mean, we kind of jumped into fighting communism after World War II, so that was the biggest enemy of the United States, any red countries. <laughs> Klaus also found that there were other discrepancies within the documents. He said that there was a distinctive date format that matched one used in Moore's personal letters and a conversation reported by Brad Sparks in which Moore confided that he was contemplating creating and releasing some hoax top secret documents in hopes that such bogus documents would encourage former military and intelligence officials who knew about the government's UFO cover-up to break their oaths of secrecy. Wasn't Moore one of the guys that said that he received this letter? Being a ufologist himself? 
why would you disinform people about it? Because it's like he said, he was hoping that he could put out some sort of ridiculous hoax document in hopes that somebody who actually had information, real information about the Roswell incident, real information about UFO recovery coming out themselves and saying, well, this other guy, you know, this other document was released and that pretty much tells the whole story of what happened. So let me go and back it up with my own information. But he pretty much tried to draw someone else out, someone who actually had information. That's pretty fucking smart. I mean, it's a simple ruse, but at the same time, it could have been effective. According to the journalist Howard Blum, the name Majestic 12 had been prefigured in the UFO community when Bill Moore asked the National Enquirer reporter Bob Bratt in 1982 to collaborate on a novel called Magic 12. Because of this, Blum writes, Pratt had always been inclined to think Majestic 12 documents were a hoax. Yeah, all over these documents, it says for for magic eyes only, but it's it's like M-A-J-I-K, like the, the old timey spelling mm-hmm. of magic. Magic 12. The magic 12, for magic 12 eyes only, or for magic eyes only. Scientific skeptic, author Brian Dunning, investigated the history of the subject, Majestic 12, and quoted in his findings that ufologist Bill Moore's suspicion that rather than the hoax perpetuated by the UFO community, the papers were actually a part of a disinformation campaign of the U.S. government meant to deflect the attention from secret Air Force projects. It's kind of weird that we're made to look in a way in three different directions. You're made to look at this situation as you have people who were creating an elaborate hoax with these documents Maybe these documents are real and there is a group of scientists and military leaders that got together and now they are in charge of this project and keeping it out of the public eye. And you also have the other end of it that they were documents that were put out by the government in hopes that it would be sent out to the UFO community and make them look stupid pretty much. Kind of eat each other up over it. Yeah, let's put out a little bit of this and get people biting at it and then make them look stupid by saying that it's all fake. It's within the realm of possibility that any of those three circumstances are correct. Either these are hoax documents, these are real documents, or they're documents put out by the government to make everybody look crazy. It's tough that you you can't exactly put your thumb on which of those scenarios are the case because like you said, they're all plausible. If it is something that was put out there by the government, there were a lot of projects that were going on in the middle of the desert. There were a lot of projects going on at that time that the government obviously didn't want Americans to know because if Americans had known about it, then the Russians know about it, then the Chinese know about it, then communists know about it, and the enemy knows. Is it possible that the government came up with a more elaborate and outlandish story of UFOs and aliens to throw off the scent of them actually creating some sort of secret airplane or an airship of some type. You have these scientists who specialize in aeronautics. You have a bunch of Air Force generals and stuff like that. Could it be that the government was just trying to throw us off the scent of them creating these amazing feats of technology? 
that also brings us to if they were just trying to do these feats of technology, what sparked this group to be started by Truman as quickly as it did, as fast as it did behind the Roswell incident? And why did technology explode when it comes to aerodynamics after that? Well, that's a good point. You would need a team of the best of the best to potentially reverse engineer some alien technology. What was the purpose of all these guys coming together, being brought together by the president so abruptly, and then these facilities being publicly known shortly after? It touches on a couple agencies that came to light around the same time of this Roswell incident and the conception of the Majestic 12. You have the National Security Council, which started also in 1947. You have the Central Intelligence Agency, which started also in 1947. And then you have the NSA, or National Security Agency, which started shortly after in 1952. Now, we all know that publicly the U.S. Air Force acquired the site in 1955 for Area 51. And some of the projects that they might have been working on that they were keeping from not only the public or the Russians and the Chinese, the Project Aquatone, which is most famously known as the Lockheed U-2. There's the Oxcart program, which is the Lockheed A-12, which is similar aircraft to the SR-71. These are aircrafts that you wouldn't want other agencies to know about. And we all know what happened with the SR-71. Yeah, especially at their inception, at the time of the beginning of, of the real spy game. The Cold War. Yeah, I mean, when you're, you have the D-21 tag board, the Lockheed D-21, and then you have the F-117 program, which is the Lockheed F-117 Nighthawk, which we've all heard about. These are all supposed projects that happened at Area 51. You also have the S-4 location, which more coincides to what may be covered up, which is supposedly the storage and examination and reverse engineering of alien spacecraft and high propulsion technologies. That's the location where a lot of what they're doing is underground, sub-level type stuff. I would imagine anything that they're doing over there is like ultra top secret. Not taking any chances whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Which is, again, brings back the whole roundabout of some sort of government agent making it out of these top secret places with a roll of film or some documents or anything like that. It's just, it, it makes it even more suspicious. The whole area is surrounded by armed patrolled guards and they'll, they'll shoot you if you get too close or even, I don't think anybody's ever gotten on the property publicly. Yeah, there's rumors of motion sensors and all sorts of shit like that. So even if nobody's there to see you, they know that you're there and there's people on the way. They call it, I guess they call it the box or the Groom Lake box. But like you said, though, if somebody got out with a roll of 35 millimeter film, there's one account of somebody that supposedly worked at the S4 location that had obtained unobtainium or element 115 from the S4 location. Uh, who's to say that a document didn't get leaked or a roll of 35 millimeter film? If somebody got some element that is now on our periodic table of something that's not known that we have on this planet and then it claims to be right, how did he get it out? So you're talking about Bob Lazar. If you're looking at the major players of Roswell in general, Area 51, S4, then you got to look at Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar was a scientist, and he claimed to have worked at S4, at a secret site, S4, as a reverse engineer for extraterrestrial technology. And 
he has stated this and stuck to his story for years upon years upon years. The funny thing is, is that as of recently, there was a piece of news that I would say 99% of the population of the world just glazed over. Whether it's the fluoride in the water or it's the ridiculous political world that we live in or the pandemic or anything like that, <laughs> there was a release from the Pentagon pretty much saying UFOs exist. They call them off-world off vehicles. And if you're Bob Lazar, after talking about this for nearly 30 years, over 30 years now, you have to feel super vindicated. And it sucks, man. It sucks because all this time people were calling him a liar. All this time people were saying you're full of shit. And now the government, the Pentagon itself goes and says, yeah, we have off-world vehicles, aka UFOs. We've retrieved them. And... Just the glazed look of the population. They had advertised it with the video of some craft that they had seen from a Navy pilot off the coast of San Diego. I think they released like two different videos, right? There was one off the coast, I believe, of North Carolina and one uh, off the coast of San Diego. Both have prominent military spots. San Diego is essentially a military base with beaches around it. I remember seeing leaked versions of those videos. They came out a couple years ago. They were, they were, yeah, leaked. dude. But even after the Pentagon officially released them, it wasn't like news to me, but it was news to other people. I, I could think of two or three cases in particular where, what, when they drop maybe April or May, they're coming up to me and showing me, they're like, oh, hey, you're into UFOs, right? And it's late July, August. And not only did those come out months ago, but they've been available for you to see for years. It's just incredible that, like you said, it, it, it was just glazed over by so many people. People. If you want to see more about Bob Lazar, there's a fantastic documentary on Netflix called Bob Lazar and Flying Saucers that, mm. I mean, this dude talks in depth. He's a smart guy. I mean, he's an MIT graduate, a rocket scientist. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a reason why. Yeah, literally, there's, there's a reason why that this guy was also taken into S4 and employed by the U.S. Navy, not getting into too much in depth on him but definitely look into him he's super interesting but he has so many claims one the element 115 he examined an element 115 that wasn't synthesized yet like we said before and then finally is actually on our periodic table that was used in antimatter reactor to power some craft he also says that when he was briefed on all this stuff that he went through hours and hours of documents some of them describing involvement with human affairs and aliens and all this crazy stuff i mean this has ruined his life really it's been more negative than good him coming out but him coming out has shown the fact that there is something going on in the desert and it all starts this majestic 12 roswell incident everything coincides back to that the sad part about it is is that the government will release these documents, they'll release these videos, and pretty much tell the American people, tell the world, that aliens exist. <laughs> Extraterrestrials exist. And not only do they exist, but they're technologically advanced enough to visit us. How the world is not in an uproar about it right now, and that is not front page of the newspaper and first thing talked about on the news literally every fucking day is beyond me. You still have people calling bullshit. Yeah, and, and, and even the government themselves will still turn around and go, no, we didn't say that. What are you talking about? That's not what we <laughs> meant. <laughs> you guys just you guys just had a press conference about it. 
I look at it this way. There are a lot of government groups that confirmed existed back in the in the 40s and 50s and 60s that were centered around UFOs, that were centered around unidentified flying objects. And there were groups within the Pentagon and within the higher-ups of the Air Force that are confirmed that they have looked over thousands of witnesses and thousands of videos and testimony of pilots seeing UFOs and whatnot. So to look at MJ-12 and say, well, that's not possible is, is kind of crazy. This is mild. This is tame compared to what's already been confirmed by the government. I personally, I'm kind of on the fence on whether they existed or not as a group but of the 12 people that were listed do i think that they were part of the roswell cover-up absolutely do i think that they worked on extraterrestrial technology post the crash absolutely whether they still exist today and maybe the group has gone from 12 to 24 or something like that remains to be seen but these groups exist and to tell people that they're out of their minds or that they're crazy or anything like that it's disingenuous and you you really got to do your homework and look at these groups and you'll see they exist. They are there. The information regarding Majestic 12 dives into so many other conspiracy theories, especially when they are based around extraterrestrials. This is a topic that we will continue to cover in our next episode, which will cover the Zeta Reticuli incident, which we touched on briefly briefly just mentioned within this episode and you shall see how far this spiders out into the galaxy into the universe majestic 12 really opens doors to a bunch of other topics that we are going to get into in the near future and a lot of which being extraterrestrials and crazy technologies and alien abductions and all these wild things that literally could have been something that these group of gentlemen were trying to suppress from the public. The group itself is pretty much just the tip of the iceberg. Join us in two weeks as we go into the Zeta Reticuli incident, where we will touch on many of the other secret space programs going on throughout the government. We will be probing into the different dark corners of the government space programs and looking at extraterrestrial contact. As always, make sure to find us on all social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you feel that we have missed anything in our research, please send us your research. Let us know, what did we miss? What did you hope we were going to talk about? Maybe we'll talk about it next episode. If you feel that we missed anything or if you just want to shout us out or say hello, please reach out to us through our email at hushhushsociety at planetmail.com. You can also find us on our brand new YouTube channel where we post all of our episode audio every Monday along with every episode that comes out on streaming platforms. Don't forget to check us out on our brand new Instagram hush hush apparel the future brand of the hush hush society conspiracy hour where you can find all sorts of things t-shirts coffee cups mugs <laughs> beer glasses shot glasses matter horns anything that you can take a drink Koozies. from <laughs> Koozies. Yeah. 
It's going to be all drinking vessels. Thank you, Hushlings, for joining us. Be sure to tune in in two weeks for the Zeta Reticuli incident. It's going to be one out of this world ride. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. And as always, thank you for joining us with the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight. <laughs>